Welcome to episode 16. This is season 2. I am your host Hamida and I want to bring you stories. Because stories inspire, stories teach and stories heal. I couldn't start this episode without letting my fellow American black brothers and sisters know that for everything that is happening in the U.S., I kneel in solidarity with them. And I sincerely wish that George Floyd's family get the justice that they deserve. But on the other hand, I also want to say this, that I absolutely condemn the violence uh, and the looting that is happening. That being said, Listeners, I am dedicating this episode to Munir. Rest in peace, Munir. And here is my story about Munir. I grew up in Mumbai, India. I used to live in an apartment building on the fifth floor. My very, very good friend, her name is Meena, used to live on the fourth floor. We spent a lot of time in each other's homes, doing projects, doing homework. Meena's older brother was Munir. Now, every time I went to Meena's home, Munir was either reading books or listening to music. Munir was quite an introvert. He didn't speak to a lot of people, but he and I had quite a dialogue going. I remember Munir most for a few things. I used to borrow books from him. I used to love chatting him up because he was so smart. And he taught me a lot of vocabulary words. The first two words that Munir taught me, and the number of words he taught me never stopped, but the first two words were flabbergasted and condoned. So as you can tell from what I'm saying, I really looked up to Munir. Fast forward, Munir moved to the U.S. in March of 1985. I followed in 1987 for the studies in the U.S. Mina followed in 1988 and came to the U.S. too. After I graduated from University of Massachusetts, I came to New York where Munir and Mina were living and I joined them and we were all housemates. That was in 1990. Munir and my relationship remained the same. I kept borrowing books from him to read. We kept having intellectual discussions and he kept teaching me those nice long vocabulary words. But one thing had changed. Munir had started drinking regularly every night. And despite Mina's requests to him to change his ways, he never did. He finally became an addict. Once he became an, became an addict, I know he went through several programs to try to get out of it. But by then, he was far entangled into the web of addiction. Fast forward, April 2008. Mina called me with the very sad news that Munir had committed suicide. She said he did not like the person he had become and he did not like more that he could not control that and change it. I will always remember Munir as the person who could do anything he wanted, who was smart, who was charismatic, and who I admired a lot. It has been 12 years but I still wish him a happy birthday on November 19th. May Munir soul rest in eternal peace. Today, we are going to talk about addiction. Our guest for today is Ellen Stewart, who is more popularly known, known as the pushy broad from the Bronx. Ellen is going to take us through her journey of addiction. Everyone, let's welcome Ellen Stewart. Welcome, Ellen. It is wonderful to have you on the show. 
I want to ask you to start off by telling us a bit about yourself, please. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. My name is Ellen Stewart, and I am the Pushy Broad from the Bronx. And everybody, when they hear that, the first thing out of their mouth is, oh my God, the Bronx. I can't tell you how many people across the world know the Bronx. It has a great reputation. And why have you been called the Pushy Broad from the Bronx? Did you give that name to yourself? What's the story behind that? Well, it's a combination of things. First of all, I am a born and raised Bronx girl. I lived 30 years in the Bronx. I loved every minute of it. And people that come out of the Bronx are really Bronx tough. And we learn how to navigate our world. As I went on and as I grew up, I was always taught to be kind of Bronx tough and outspoken. So with all of the people that I met, if somebody didn't like the fact that I was straightforward and straight to the point and kind of a no BS gal, they would turn around and say, boy, she's such a pushy broad. And I said, you know what? It's about time in my life that I actually owned that title. So I owned that title and trademarked it. I am the pushy broad from the Bronx and I am loud and proud of it. And that's I love name. that. I love that. Tell us a bit more about yourself. I've done a lot of things. Right now, I am a recovery coach and an empowerment coach. I have been in the behavioral health industry for about 16 years, and my niche is recovery coaching. I am a recovering alcoholic and addict. I have 34 and a half years clean and sober. My clean date is September 4th. 1985. And that's something that has stayed with me forever and part of my life. Everybody who is in recovery, who is substance-free, has a certain lesson to impart upon the world. And I started in this business because I wanted to continue that lesson. And when I was working with people who were struggling or working with families of those addicts that were struggling, I realized that just being abstinent from, an alcohol, from alcohol or drugs is not enough. It's just not enough to say you're clean and sober. That's only the beginning. What follows from that is to learn how to be in recovery, learning how to change the way you think, feel, and act. And I knew that when people were beginning to get clean and sober or where families were beginning to deal with somebody starting to get clean and sober, that's where the real work began. So that's what I started to do. Ellen, do you tell us when this all began? Please tell us your story. I started using drugs when I was 14 years old and I did it in a way that every kid does it. I mean, started smoking cigarettes and then smoking pot and kind of doing everything. And I was going to school in the middle of kind of the hippie generation, the sex drugs and rock and roll generation and all kinds of craziness going on and experimenting with so many things like hallucinogenics and a variety of things that I guess were the beginning of prescription pills. And I was classified kind of like as a garbage head because I did everything. There was no one thing that, that I focused on. And even though I managed to get through school and I managed to, to, to get by and I never really got into trouble in terrible ways, I mean, I did experience an overdose in college that almost got me expelled. So I guess that's a modicum of trouble. But after that, I moved on and started to grow up a little bit. 
but my beginnings were being married to a musician and drugs and alcohol were very easy to come by in that world. And when I had a couple of bouts that were really serious, I decided back in 1984 to get clean and sober and then had one relapse and then finally in 1985. I stayed clean and sober, but quite honestly, I did so many different things. I have reinvented myself so many times in a good way. I was never afraid to try things, never afraid to be a different person. I graduated college as a high school teacher. I taught for many years and then I taught on the college level. I spent 20 years teaching and simultaneously also being in the travel industry. I traveled the world, I did wonderful things. And even though I was clean and sober, I really didn't know how to make decisions in my life. And maybe that happens to all of us. Maybe we get up in the morning and we realize that we're just going through the day. We're just taking that day as it comes and not seizing the opportunities of the day and not learning from those things and not really evolving as an individual, but just letting time pass. What I call living in one dimension. And then I decided that I would leave the travel industry because when the towers fell, travel was pretty much dead. So I looked for another career. And then I saw something which said, work with people in recovery. And I made a change. 16 years ago, I made a change. And that changed my life. Because I went from just existing to evolving. And that was a really big story for me. Understanding that there was more to life than just getting through the day. That is a good story. But I want to step back a little bit and take you to the day that you thought that you wanted to change things and you wanted to not be an addict anymore. Was it your own decision? How did that evolve? How did that happen? That's a really good question. At the time I was through my first divorce, I was married once, I was married very young. I was divorced. I was living, God, I think I was living on my own, but I had lots of friends. And I knew that people could socially drink and maybe socially drug, but I knew I wasn't one of them. I knew what I was doing was to excess. I knew that it was compulsive and taking over my life. And I knew that if I kept doing this, I would be dead. Nothing short of that. I knew that. And someplace inside of me said, I want to live. I don't want to do this anymore. I need help. And in order to do that, I reached out to some friends that I knew were, were getting clean and sober. And I started to, to see somebody before that who had a problem. And then he decided to get clean and sober. And I knew that he was in this whole world that I wanted to be a part of. And that's what made me decide to do it. What was it that helped you the most in recovering? Tell us some of your tools that you use to recover. There are certain things that really work in recovery and they're very basic things. And I really do think that everybody can benefit from this, not just people that are struggling with alcohol or drugs. The kinds of things that I have learned have helped me now, even through this COVID-19 crisis. And they are very simply one day at a time one day at a time, a very simple concept. And this is how much it helps. 
I cannot focus on what has happened yesterday because I cannot change yesterday. I can't lament it. I can't punish myself for it. I can't be ashamed of it. I can't be angry about it. It is past. The past stays in the past. All I can do about the past is learn from it. And if I keep worrying about a future that hasn't come yet, then I'm not living in the present. So I always tell my clients, wherever your feet are, that's where your brain has to be. Because I am living in the present, I can focus on being the best person I can possibly be in the present. And also, my life is more manageable one minute at a time, or five minutes at a time, or an hour at a time rather than worrying about what I'm going to be doing tomorrow or what it's going to look like two weeks from now. That sounds like something we could use. You're right. Not just for recovery from an addiction, but for everything that you want to do in life and for what you have goals for. Yes. So we use this. I mean, I use this in terms of talking about how to rework habits. When I work with my clients about learning about how to get over cravings, whatever it is, whether it's alcohol or drugs, or maybe for you, it's eating. Dessert. 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 Sweet right. Stuff. Desserts, which it is for me too. Or maybe it's gambling, or maybe it's watching too many programs on TV or, you know, all of that stuff. I mean, we have really geared our existence in our society to the addictive brain. And people don't understand that it's not just relegated to alcohol or drugs, but our society is based on uh, instant gratification. I want what I want, when I want it, and I want it now. That's very addictive brain thinking. Netflix and Hulu and all of those streaming services are geared to the addictive brain because now we no longer have to wait once a week for a TV program. You can stream the whole season all in one shot and binge and the whole idea of binging is a compulsive term which means binge eating binge drinking binge video gaming it's all geared to the addictive brain and, and the companies love to know that you are binging their product because they want you to be hooked to them Companies feed the addictive brain, just like tobacco companies, just like drug companies. They feed to the addictive brain. We Americans, or not only Americans, but people all over the world have the propensity for the addictive brain. So it's not just about picking up a drink or a drug. It's understanding the principles of recovery because anybody has the propensity to be an addict about anything. You may not have the inkling to be an alcoholic, but you may have an inkling to eat 10 desserts at night or sit in front of the TV for 19 hours or pick up that video game like the kids do and play Fortnite for 24 hours in a row. Something, something will be considered a compulsion or addiction. So Ellen, what else do you have in your toolkit for us? Let's see. One of the other things that I implore with my clients and that I do every single day is to tell clients that the best thing that they can do and what I try to do is to bring myself back to peace, balance, and serenity on a daily basis. Peace of knowing that I am happy with myself, the peace of mind of knowing that I'm okay, I'm alive, I am well, I am healthy today. The serene thought of I am going to be okay and that the world around me is going to be okay 
and also the balance of knowing that I need to combine my productivity with my relaxation. That relaxation is just as productive as doing hard work. And for me, I have to schedule that time. I actually have to say one day a week where I'm not doing anything because otherwise I will endeavor to work on a daily basis. And that doesn't help me. So I have to bring balance back into my life, which is something that helps in recovery a great deal. Thanks for sharing that with us. So what is the difference in your life between when you were an addict and now that you're out of it for 34 years? Explain to us why this is, if you think it's a better life, why this is a better life. Well, first of all, let me tell you that there is not an addict or an alcoholic on the planet that never, that turns around and says they're cured. I am not cured. I am only in recovery, which means that I am in constant remission, which means that I must be vigilant because if I pick up a drink or a drug, my addictive brain will kick in and I will not be sober anymore. That's just it. I know that there are some things that do not serve me. Just as someone knows if they have a peanut allergy not to eat peanuts, otherwise there's a risk they will die. And that's what it is. So I have learned that I cannot pick up a drink or a drug. And in addition to that, I have learned life lessons that have made me a better human being. Because I have changed the way I thought. I have been more open and honest with myself, more willing to take chances and to listen to people. And I follow a guideline of steps and tradition that help guide my life going forward. Without that, I would not have had a life. But understand for everybody that that knows what recovery is all about, it's not enough just to not pick up a drink or a drug, just like it's not enough just to lose 10 pounds or 15 pounds or 20 pounds if you don't know how to change the way you think about food. That's why the mental part of it, the psychological part of it, is just as important, if not more, than the actual physical act of being abstinent from something that is harmful to you. And that's what I've learned about being in recovery, that it is a psychological mindset that has to change. And what I teach to clients, if I could just say one more thing, is something very basic that I do for myself on a daily basis, and that is, I try to change my thought process so that I can change the way I think about something and then I can change the way I feel about it so I can change the way I act upon it. Cognitive change breeds emotional change, which breeds behavioral change. Those are the biggest lessons I've learned to date. And I did hear you say that you learned a lot of lessons. So tell us, what is that big life lesson that you would like to share with our audience? I think my biggest life lesson is that you can always change the way you feel. You are not stuck. Everybody thinks they're stuck. They can't reinvent themselves. People say, this is the way I am. I can't feel any differently. Or I'm too old to be stuck in my ways. I'm too young to change my mind. All of those things. We are not stuck. We are constantly changing. And the more we embrace change, the happier we'll be. Change is always good. Those are my lessons. 
For those who feel stuck where they are, what would you advise them to do to embrace the change in their life? Well, one of the things I would advise them to do is give me a call. Pushy Broad from thebronx.com is there and available to you. And I'm doing a 30-minute free COVID-19 stress alleviation. And you can talk to me about anything you want for that 30 minutes. I don't care. But if you make that one move, that's the first step to making some real change. Take a chance. Great. And make up your mind that you want to make the change and follow your mind because where focus goes, energy flows. Absolutely. You're right. And that's the thing. But we can only focus on one thing at a time. Okay. It's impossible for the brain to focus on more than one thing at a time. So shift your focus and that's where your energy will go. And the other thing we learn in recovery to back that up is feelings are not facts. Who cares how you feel? You can change your mind. Okay. You could have grown up eating chocolate ice cream and now you hate chocolate ice cream. Or you could have grown up hating onions and now you love onions. I mean, really and truly. You know, if you get divorced, you loved him when you walked down the aisle and now you don't love him anymore. So big deal. Change your mindset, change your attitude. That's how it goes. Your thought process dictates your feelings, not the other way around. Lovely message. Thank you so much, Ellen. It was so good having you on the show. And thank you for imparting all of those lovely advices and sharing your life lesson with us. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Folks, addiction is real and addiction is serious. And addiction just doesn't include addiction of alcohol or drugs. It also includes smoking, cigarettes, cigars, vaping. Vaping is now on a rise. High school seniors had the sharpest one-year increase with more than 37% reporting that they vaped within the past 12 months. That is one in every three high school seniors are vaping. I'd be really surprised if each one of us don't know at least one person in our lives that is addicted to something. Today, Ellen gave us some really nice life lessons that helped her through her recovery. And I feel a need of listing them or summarizing them. So here they are. Change is always good. Reach out to friends who will help you change. Bring balance in your lives. The psychological mindset needs to be changed. You are not stuck. Take one day at a time. And folks, if you have any addiction or if you know any family members or friends that have any kind of addiction, help is available. Call the National Hotline for Confidential Free Help at 1-800-662-4357. This brings us to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I will bring you another episode of Sharing Life Lessons next Wednesday. Until then, be strong, be happy, and be safe. (laughs) 